0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones: A Marital Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host Justin McElroy,
1: and I'm Sydney McElroy. Do you think
0: I like the alliteration? But do you think saying that it's that we're married in the tagline adds anything to the pitch? I don't know if it adds to the tagline. Right? Are you more inclined to listen to it because it's like marital? I
1: um I think it draws attention to like what's fun about our dynamic, maybe, maybe. That we're married.
0: Some I worry I don't know. some people might read it as a Marshall tour of misguided medicine. I have and had people like, say that. I have. It's heard. like a militaristic mm-hmm. sort of.
1: I have been introduced at things as the host of a martial tour of misguided, and then I have to be like, ha ha ha, uh-huh. mar- Actually, marital, marital ha ha because uh-huh. um, um, I don't want to correct. It's n- like it's never a cool look to correct someone, but it it, it is not. It has nothing to do with martial anything. So I I don't want to get that.
0: Yeah confused Uh, hey listen it is a uh maybe you'd guess by the looseness of our intro here but we're having fun this week with another one of our medical q a's always one of my favorite kinds of episodes that we do
1: these are the fun medical questions i have been answering not fun medical questions all morning is that interesting can i give a peek into what i'm doing is that i don't know if this is justin says it's interesting maybe it's not I, am I think a, everything
0: you say is interesting, sweetheart.
1: I'm a board-certified family physician. Here she goes. Which means— Okay. <laughs> humble brag. No, I, I'm just—I am clarifying because if you're not ensconced in the world of having to maintain certification— She
0: does this everywhere. I'm you, a board-certified family physician, and I would like two chicken nugget of happy beans, please.
1: <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that, and I'm pretty good about not putting MD after I sign something that isn't an official doctor document. You
0: never— I would never say my name again that it didn't have doctor before it. Be
1: no, do you know how I'm embarrassing good. it is to like sign or like get a receipt or something and sign it with an MD and then just look like the worst person? Like you look like such a like. Oh, am I am I impressed now that you signed your Applebee's receipt with an MD? Like, <laughs> why did you feel the need to tell me that? Like, it's such a ugh move, and it's totally anyway. I don't anyway, usually. You're
0: a board certified physician. The point is, physician. I just
1: thought it would be interesting for people to know. In order to maintain board certification, you have to do a bunch of stuff. And you also have to pay a bunch of money. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. You got to do a bunch of stuff to prove that you still can be a board certified whatever kind of doctor. And I have to do – you either have the option of taking a big giant test once every 10 years on all of your field, which as a family doctor is kind of intimidating because most of us don't continue to do all the things that family medicine can do for our entire career. Some people do. But, like, I don't deliver babies anymore. I used to, but I don't now. So that part of my medical knowledge is rustier than, like, I'm really good at acute management of wounds. I'm really good at substance use disorder management. I'm really good at – there's a lot of other things I'm great at now because that's what I do all the time. Yeah. Anyway, I opted to do this thing where I take 25 questions every – three months for Mm -hmm. four years, which I thought sounded better. uh, The
0: ever-going test, the ongoing forever test. It's a
1: forever test, and uh, it sounds like not a big deal, but then it's just in your mind all the time that you either have to do the questions or like I just finished them this morning and I'll be thinking about finishing the next 25 for the next three months. Um, And it's also open book, but timed. Mm. I think that it feels worse to miss an open book question I think there's something about that that makes you feel like, oh, you could have used any book and you didn't get the right one.
0: (laughs) You had access to all the world's information.
1: I'm doing fine so far. I'm going to, I mean, knock on wood, I'm going to maintain my certification. I feel like everything will go okay. I'm just sharing that this is what you have to do to maintain board certification, and it's a giant pain and very stressful. But it ensures you that your doctors are always studying and learning. I don't know. There's a peak behind the
0: yeah, but we're going to be asking you easier questions today. Swid. Yes,
1: these these and won't be timed, right? Yes, you're not going to have a five t- Well,
0: except in the sense of the listener interest is always a timer that we're working against. Yes. They could at any point switch to any of the countless other uh, forms of entertainment. So we got to keep it peppy. All we right, keep what is it? Keep, keep it something peppy, peppy
1: something, something
0: snappy. snappy.
1: Okay, I for- got something for you. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. Okay, we're going to have to stop I that. quit, Mr. White. Okay. <laughs> Weird medical
0: questions. Here we go. Hi, Justin and Cindy. Why do we this is that is a pitfall for Cindy and I. If if something is ever close to a quote from that, that thing, thing you do, do. somebody t- starts talking about a really nice van or anything like that. Anything from the room. Anything from the room. Uh rent is probably the worst. Oh yeah. Anytime we start talking about New York City, it's center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> okay, you
1: can't say the next line. Uh
0: why do we want to rub our eyes when we're tired? And why does it feel so good? That's from Zia.
1: Uh, you know, I didn't know, I, I, I also have observed this phenomenon. I don't, they never taught us in medical school why people do that. So I actually had to look this up to figure out like, why do we do that? Can
0: I take a guess? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when you're getting tired and you're sleepy, your eyes are wetter because that helps to hold your eyes closed. And so when you rub them, you're helping to get the waterworks going up there and, uh, help to keep your eyes closed. That's what I think.
1: That's Okay you're sort of like you're in the right area don't
0: patronize me just go ahead and no but right like seriously is. you're in the
1: right area but it's kind of backwards actually and i didn't know this was true when you are trying to stay awake when you're actively fighting that fatigue you blink less oh your eyes get drier it is thought that rubbing your eyes like that is an attempt to stimulate those lacrimal gl- glands, your tear. Oh, to so stimulate keep them wet moisture. So you can stay awake longer. It, well, to not to stay awake longer, but to soothe your eyes. That's why it feels good because your eyes are getting dry and that's uncomfortable. So when you rub them, you stimulate that moisture, you mm. moisten your eyeballs okay. and they feel better. So that's why it is.
0: It must have been so satisfying to you to find such a concrete answer to this question. It was,
1: I mean, it was a really cool answer. I also, I didn't know that we blink less when we're tired i didn't know that but apparently that's part of your like subconscious trying to stay awake you're like resisting blinking because you might blink so hard you fall asleep i've
0: gotten so (laughs) bad at it anymore like i used to be able to stay awake pretty well i'll just be like literally telling my body like do not fall asleep keep watching this movie i know you started it too late but stay awake And who is just nothing doing. I just realized that I just missed some.
1: And can I tell you a scary movie about aliens where there is like one line of dialogue in the entire movie. That is not the choice when you're trying to stay away. It was
0: rough. Hey, um, it was not a
1: bad movie, but still.
0: Long time listeners, first time callers here with some questions. We have a normal one and a weird one. Here's the normal one. Do mineral salt deodorants work? If they do, how is aluminum and deodorant bad for you?
1: So I I wanted to focus on, first of all, I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not really familiar with mineral salt. I had to look up these mineral salt deodorants and there's like, basically they're, what they're saying is these don't have chemicals in them. They're they're all natural and so they're supposed to be better for you. Uh, Here is the take home. Whether or not you think these work better for you, Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, people say that they do the same thing from like in terms of they keep you from sweating and they fight odor. As far as I can tell, they don't work as well. From everything I'm reading, they're like, these don't always work right away, and you may actually sweat and smell more when you first start them, which makes me think, like, well, you just... Over time, you adapt to the fact that you're sweatier and stinkier. I don't know. Yeah, so you get used to the smell, maybe? I have no idea. I don't use these. I use... I'm not going to plug a deodorant. I use a deodorant that is a standard sort of commercial product. I think the important thing to know is that there has never been any proven danger from these other deodorant formulas that contain aluminum or the other things they tell you that are bad. So I think that uh, my bigger problem is if you like a certain kind of deodorant because it does have some other sort of natural ingredient and you like the way it smells or you like the way it feels or you think that it works well for you, that's fine. I mean, because it's all about like your comfort, right? We don't wear, for the most part, you're not wearing prescription deodorant. For a medical reason. If now, that does happen. But I'm not saying in most cases for like me, I'm wearing it because I don't like the feeling of sweat under my armpits. So I wear deodorant. So whatever works for that purpose for you is fine. And that there is no danger to all those other deodorants that contain aluminum that anyone has, has found at you this point. skip
0: it altogether, you know. Use your natural muscle. I
1: mean, I think that's fine too if you want to. I don't I don't have what any do problem want? with it. I just think it's important to know that we we don't have scientific evidence for these claims. Like the the National Cancer Institute says these deodorants with aluminum have never been shown to cause cancer. I mean, we learn new things every day, but as it stands now, I think this is a little bit of fear-mongering. fear-mongering and use whatever marketing. use whatever deodorant uh, works best for you.
0: <laughs> uh do you have a take on the weird question?
1: Well, I just thought it was interesting to bring up because oh, i also— Oh, no. This is entrapment. I didn't write this. Why do
0: I always burp when my wife is next to me? <laughs> okay. Whenever I come home or even just go to sit next to her in another room within maybe five minutes, I'll have burped a few times. Is this a known bug? Nobody I know seems to experience this. It's literally every time. Please help me. It's ruining my makeup game. That's from Cass and Gabe. So
1: well, and I... I'm not sure, uh, Gabe, are you the burper? Our I don't know. We don't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm well. I'm going to tell you. You do know somebody who has experienced this. You now. You said you don't know anybody else who's experienced it. You do. His name's Justin McElroy, okay. and his wife Sydney McElroy has experienced this. I I feel like you save them, and not just your burp, your grodiest ones. You save. For when you're in proximity to me. This is the
0: doctor. So okay. that I
1: can go, why? <laughs> this, this, here, okay, I, I, I can you, answer you this You also question. don't I'll even attempt to question. like turn your head or anything. <laughs> it, you Sometimes you'll lean towards me. <laughs> I'll answer this question.
0: Okay, I'll answer this question for you. Uh, hi, Dust, Dr. Justin here. There's two, there's two factors going on here. One is you are probably within uh, proximity of your partner uh, when you are uh, eating food a lot and drinking. And that is because that's usually a communal time, so you're ingesting more and thereby creating more gas and that that is part of the effect, right?
1: Cuz when you swallow air gets in there and that can come out in the forms of burps or hiccups or farts or whatever. And I don't know well, your relationship. Farts are a whole other thing, I don't still. know
0: your relationship, but I know some people in some relationships maybe when they burp at all around their partner, it's such a gigantic federal case that You're abundantly aware of it. What I'm saying is there is an observation bias going on here. When you let one of those beautiful boys free on your own, wouldn't even pass your notice. Who cares? Why would you even attempt to note that you just let out a grody burp? But when you're around your partner, you become abundantly aware of every little bit of mouth gas that escapes your lips.
1: I know. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm not going to belabor this. I don't. I don't have a problem with burping in public, personally. Personally, all signs Uh, to the contrary. What What has always amazed me is that if I am burping in public, I kind of do a little like I turn my head, or I kind of almost like I'm going to sneeze or something. Like I do a little vampire like to, so that I'm not just like burping in everyone's face. I in some way try to like muffle that process mm-hmm. and you usually like lean your body forward and announce the burp to the room sometimes
0: that's to get it out why is yeah. this why am i on let's, trial let's talk about the next question hi sydney and justin in parentheticals thank you <laughs> <laughs> out there between having older relatives who sometimes need me in the exam room with them to help advocate for remember things and my own chronic health issues and gender-affirming care i've seen a lot of doctors I noticed that completely separate from Bedside manner, they vary a lot in how well they explain things and how willing they are to explain them. They run from ones who struggle to explain why they need multiple incisions for gallbladder surgery to my family care doctor growing up who loved having a curious kid asking her questions, uh, her diagnosis and medicines. Plus one surgeon who positively beamed when I mentioned I'd taken organic chemistry because that meant he got to properly explain why he couldn't drain an abscess under a local anesthetic. I know that med schools are trying harder to teach bedside manner, but is this a skill they're also trying to instill in future doctors? Even with the short appointments we get, it's been really useful to help me and family members do a better job of advocating for ourselves, point out issues, and ultimately do what is what we need to do to get or stay healthy. Thank you both. Tara.
1: I think it's – an. I, I thought this was a really interesting question because um, we are taught as part of like our clinical skills because, I mean, we have a class that is called clinical – well – at my med school, it's called clinical skills. I don't know. Something similar. Um, so the idea of, of not just knowing the medicine but also taking care of the patient, and that envelops like bedside manner and then communication skills and all that. That is taught in medical school. That is definitely part of it. Um, in terms of specifically explaining things to patients, we're definitely taught things like don't use medical terminology, mm-hmm. you know, like speak their language. We kind of learn this whole other language in medical school. And if I use that to a patient who didn't go to medical school, they may not have any idea what I'm saying, right? So we're taught that kind of stuff to like use layman's terms and um, ask, do you have any questions and then do your best to like answer them. But in but like skill sets in communicating scientific information or or like complicated medical information to somebody who doesn't already have that knowledge base, I would not say is a huge focus, um, generally speaking, in, in the medical world. And that's reflected by the fact that there are a lot of people who are brilliant in their field, but can't tell you anything about it in a way that you'll understand. Um, and I think that's a science problem in general, right? Like not just medicine. It's all of science where we have this issue. So I would say the other part of it is probably it depends on where you trained and culturally what that area is like. Yeah. In some areas, you'll find a lot more what we call paternalism in medicine, meaning that your physician may be a lot less likely to explain things to you and more likely to just say, here's what it is. Trust me, this is what you need to do. And might tell you some things to look out for. But they don't really get into specifics because, like, it's, they're being paternalistic. And there are some patients who want that. I've had patients before who are like, "Don't I don't need to know all that. Just tell me what to do. Right? Um, like me at the mechanic. I would say that we are, <laughs> yes, I would say that we're moving in a direction we are, where we're urged not to do that. And that, certainly I was trained that way. Don't just say, do this because I'm telling you you need to do it. Explain to them why it matters. Explain, like, form an alliance with your patient so that you are in this together and working together on this issue. And the only way to do that is with shared knowledge. But, I mean, you're going to find it different from place to place. And and I don't know. I think science communication in general could be more of an area of focus in all the sciences, right? Uh, I, I absolutely think so.
0: Um, this question is inspired, though they're also working in a broken system that doesn't incentivize them spending an extra second with you when they could be in another patient's room I, making more money.
1: I could get, well, I could get into that too. Like if I spend making more, than, more money
0: for the hospital, not like for personal, not, community. not if in the in work I cases, do, but,
1: I don't get paid for the work I do outpatient now. So it died. I don't have this restriction now, but previously, um, if I spent more than 15 min- minutes with my patient explaining things, I'm losing money for the practice which is not a concern to me personally. Right. But I could end up reprimanded, fired, whatever. I'm not saying this about my old practice, just generally speaking. Mm-hmm.
0: This question is inspired by the recent episode about the carpet python parasite, specifically when you talked about washing food before eating it and the perils of kids eating dirt and sand. Hypothetically, would there be a way to wash or cook dirt or sand? <laughs> 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 Would there be a way to wash or cook dirt or sand that would kill potential parasites and make it more safe if ingested? I suppose this is more of a <laughs> cooking question. <laughs> but I figured I'd ask. This is from Faith. Faith wants to know if you can cook dirt enough to make it
1: clean. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Like sure. you can't you could if you, <laughs> you I, I, this is really like nipples, right? <laughs> This is really like a food handler's question, Justin. Like you could feel this. Like if you If you theorize that chicken or fish or pork or whatever sort of thing that we cook intentionally to kill any other sort of microorganisms that are in there, including parasites, right? Like very specifically, there are cooking recommendations for fish. Yeah, because fish are known to have parasites and other things too. But you know, Um, so there's very specific temperature guidelines both on the high end of the spectrum like that you know you can get them hot enough to kill all Mm -hmm. the parasites and you could freeze them yeah that will kill most known parasites so yeah you could do that with sand or dirt i don't know why you couldn't like boil sand yeah or bake i don't think you could
0: boil sand with it not being a liquid but i do understand what you're saying well put it
1: in water and then boil it
0: yeah that's mud though
1: yeah, well, then you'd have, but to, you dry have to dry it. it out. So you, then you then you put it in a food but dehydrator. Then
0: open air, like they could get it could get. Ready. Or you could bake it. You could bake sand. Ooh, bake sand. That yeah, bake good sand. Right now. No, there. Or oh, well, you get glass. I mean, if you got an autoclave,
1: this that would work too. Yeah. But yes, there would be ways to sterilize dirt or sand so that you could eat eat it as a party um, trick. I and guess. not <laughs> and not get a parasite. There are other like, and I am not an expert in this. We're moving outside of my area of expertise into like all the other stuff that might be in dirt or sand almost that isn't almost certainly
0: metals trace like, exactly like, yeah. that
1: isn't a microorganism that are good reasons not to eat dirt or sand but in terms of parasites yeah you could cook dirt or sand and,
0: in school I learned God. <laughs> please
1: made... don't eat sand or dirt I'm not yeah. going to encourage this I... even if you cook it even if you boil it please don't eat sand or dirt
0: I did learn in school that God made dirt so dirt don't hurt yeah. that is what you I you learned heard. that in school? I learned that in school thank from you. my colleagues not from my teacher Oh, I
1: was going to say thank hey. you West Virginia educational hey, system hey
0: Sydney and Justin I know that I occasionally twitch as a, a little as I fall asleep. My wife twitches a lot as she's falling asleep. Usually, it's just a small finger or arm twitches. Why does this happen? Is it some evolutionary relic? Uh, that's from Brian in uh, Seattle.
1: Hey, Justin, can I tell you something? Yes, dear. You do this. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, that you know. Day.
0: You've you've told me before. You uh, are never shy about uh, drawing out and diagramming all of my mini failings.
1: No, you made me nervous for a Mm. while because you were doing it so much.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That
1: was why I asked you about it. But we figured that out and everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, Hypnic jerks. My brain pills, right? My brain. Pills. I believe. I believe it is a side effect. Yeah. Yes, I believe that is what we are experiencing. But it does not seem to disturb your sleep, is what I've noticed.
0: Mm. Yeah, like I you, agree. I'm a great sleeper.
1: Well, there are nights where you do that. I know you do because I always fall asleep after you, and you still wake up feeling well rested. You tell me, and so it happens. I, sometimes I believe you're still getting like, hap- sleep. like
0: talk, like trying to stay awake during a movie. Like yeah. time, like I'll start getting the the, the twitches. Mm-hmm. Inter-
1: yeah, and um, they're so they're very common. It's the same as if you've ever said, like, you had a sleep start it, or, like, that dream of falling off a building mm-hmm. sensation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't always have to be that clear cut. You had a dream where something happened and then you jerked and you jerked in your sleep. Like, it's not always like that um, because it's just this, you know, involuntary – um, contraction or jerk so something just moves it can be smaller or larger you could have one Mm -hmm. as you're falling asleep or you could have multiple some people do there are certain triggers sometimes like things like um caffeine can Mm -hmm. trigger them it's thought that maybe alcohol before sleep could Mm -hmm. um general like sleep deprivation and then try and catch up on that so like there are some specific things and then some people just have them
0: i stopped drinking at night that did actually help uh, I think somewhat, and maybe, mm-hmm. but it's hard for me to say because I am asleep.
1: <laughs> but you, you still have them, yeah, yeah. Well, because it always takes me a minute. I, I might still be looking at TikTok, and I'll find a funny TikTok, and I'll be like, Is Justin still awake? And you'll move, and I'll think, Oh, he is. And then I'll be, I like, know, oh, almost fell for it. That's a hypnic jerk.
0: Now you'd think that always stops her from showing me the funny TikTok, but
1: sometimes it just decides. I got to see it right now, man. Get up, get up, homie. It's uh, time to go. It's some kind of startle reaction. It may be that your brain thinks as all your muscles kind of relax mm-hmm. as you're falling asleep, it may actually think you're falling. And so it's trying to jerk you back awake for a second.
0: Well, you, well our ancestors slept in trees, right? Like yeah. it's, it's not wild to think that we would have a little bit of that evolutionary. It's also good to remember, folks, is some mm-hmm. I've been thinking about a lot, remember that you're not the evolutionary endpoint. You know, when you're talking about even like a game that's been out for 20 years, they're still patching it, still making fixes – this is it. We're not done Mm-mm. as a species. This is something we'll we're, iron we're out in future, future generations, I'm sure.
1: Um, if these happen during the daytime, you need to go see somebody about that. These, yeah. these are associated with falling asleep. So if they're happening, like I just jerk in the day, please go talk to somebody about that. That's not what I, we're talking about here. And generally speaking, if it's concerning to you or disrupting your sleep, or if your partner's really worried about it or whoever noticed it, Go get it checked out. But um, most of the time, a hypnic jerk while you're falling asleep is not is not in and of itself dangerous or indicative of danger.
0: Sydney, this is my first time checking the timer since we started recording. I, I was about to tell you. Yes, we've got to go to the building department. Then we're going to have to lightning
1: around this, this guy. That's okay. We can. Let's do it. The medicines, the medicines that escalate for the mouth.
0: We have just started rehearsing. For the summer theater, that's right, summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals Right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, or whatever. This is real high quality chef crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern style turkey and mac, but I think this week I'm gonna be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl, is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. What are you gonna get? This truffle oh, butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously.
1: The human mind can be tricky. Your mental health can be complex. Your emotional life can be complicated. So it helps to talk about it. I'm John Moe. Join me each week on my show, Depression Mode with John Moe. It's in-depth conversations about mental health with writers, musicians, comedians, doctors and experts. Folks like Noah Khan, Sashir Zameda and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. We talk about depression, anxiety, trauma, imposter syndrome and perfectionism. We have the kind of conversations that a lot of folks are hesitant to have themselves. Listen and you won't feel as alone and you'll have some laughs, too. Fresh Mode for Maximum Fun at
0: MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, this is KT Wigman, Operations Specialist. I'm here with... Christian Duenas, producer,
0: and we're both worker owners here at Maximum Fun. October is National Co-op Month, so we're celebrating our brand new co-op and some others with an event called
1: Co-Optober.
0: We've got special events all month long, starting with a live Q&A on YouTube where MaxFun worker owners will answer your questions on Friday, October 6th, and much more to come. We also want to tell you about some incredible limited edition merch, exclusively available to MaxFund members throughout the month of October. If you're already a member of MaxFund, you've shown that you care about our shows and what we do. If you also want to help launch us into this new cooperative era and show off your support, go ahead and get yourself a hat, a pin, a shirt. We worked with some of our favorite artists to make them really special. For details on merch, all of our upcoming events like Meetup Day and more, visit MaximumFun.org cooptober That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Happy Co-Optober! Hey, Dr. Sydney. I got one. Why does my voice get deeper in the morning? What about the same thing when I'm sick? Also, it's gotten deeper as I've aged? What's the deal? Love, Paul. Do you know? Well. Specifically,
1: morning voice I thought was an interesting question.
0: Morning voice, I would guess, uh, I'd guess a lack of hydration if Mm -hmm. I had to guess. I know performers, when they want to be at their best voice, drink a lot of water honey tea whatever
1: that's the main thought you your vocal cords those two pieces of tissue have been still and then air has been passing over them for some number of hours however long you slept um and so you need to lubricate them and work them out it's like it's like stretching a muscle before you run or exercise if you've been sleeping all night and you jump right out of bed and then go do some sort of strenuous activity you know your muscles aren't ready. It's the same thing. Your vocal cords, you just need to lubricate them. They've gotten dried out, and then you need to start using them, and then they start flapping and making have, sound, and the sound gets closer to what it typically sounds like, and then it happens all over again the next morning.
0: I have definitely noticed the uh, the voice lowering as I've gotten older, though. Mm-hmm. I, I, even through my, like, 30s, my voice has gotten low. Like, if you go back and listen to early episodes, it's much, it, it, my voice is much higher.
1: It it just has to do with the way those vocal cords, if they've changed over time, if they're thicker than they were, you know, if they're a little drier, a little moister, that changes in the moment. But then if they have changed slightly in thickness. Could
0: could uh, fluctuating weight change that, too? Because I know that that can alter the hormones in your in your body, right? Different amounts of fat tissue in the body.
1: Uh, I mean, it's not fat tissue, but it's an interesting question. I we oh, I, we know you. that, but I mean, yes, I mean, hormonal levels definitely affect. We know that because we can see with hormone administration. Sure, we can see voice change in you know pitch, and so definitely hormones can affect it as we age. Um, not necessarily, but like weight loss in the sense of do they get bigger or smaller? Not, No, you know what I'm saying? Not that, but like, yes, yes. Hormonal shifts, whether due to weight or age or you're taking hormones or whatever, definitely affect the vocal
0: cords. Sickness is probably inflammation, right? Is yeah. creating thicker vocal cords, lower sound.
1: Exactly. Or if they're like a little bit um, inflamed, if they're like, uh, you said inflammation, but like if they're holding on to fluid would mm. be the other thing. So we talked about dried out, but like if they're a little bit swollen, that's that would be a good word for it. Then that would change the, the tone too.
0: After being on the antidepressant
1: venlafaxine,
0: Oh, thank you. Uh, that's effects for mm-hmm. about 20 years. I weaned myself under medical supervision off of it. It took over a month to do it, and during the process, I experienced gaze evoked tinnitus. It is freaky. What causes it and what is going on? That's from Mark. I've never heard of that before.
1: I had never either. Really? Yes. This is a pretty rare form. So have you you you've experienced tinnitus before? Yes. I said See, tinnitus, didn't I? Tinnitus, either way. whatever you want to call it. When what? And can you describe what that is? The ringing of the ears. Yeah, and sometimes people experience it as a buzzing or humming, but like
0: it can be. It it doesn't sound that serious. It can be really bad mm-hmm. for some people. It the can. He, the former, uh, the former, chief of Texas Roadhouse killed himself because his tinnitus was so bad. Oh my gosh! This is a true story about the former head of Texas Roadhouse.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know true. that. So it is. It can be, in terms of quality of life, even if it doesn't, once you've had it evaluated, even if it doesn't mean there's anything like, um, you know, fatal or serious or terminal associated with the symptom, your quality of life can be greatly impacted by it. Um, Specifically, gaze evoked tinnitus is when you move your eyes in different directions and it changes the uh how loud Whoa. the sound is.
0: <laughs> that would be wild. Yeah.
1: So like specifically like you look off to the periphery and the sound gets louder.
0: Yeah. I bet that's pretty wild for like a day before the novelty wears off and it's just the pits. He
1: yeah. Here was here was what was interesting. As I was looking into this, it I couldn't find a lot of reports of it being associated with um antidepressant discontinuation syndrome. The reason I say that specifically is that you don't withdraw from a lot of these medicines in what, in the way that we think about withdrawal, mm-hmm. right? Like there aren't, um, it's not dangerous for the most part. I'm I'm making generalizations. So we don't call it a withdrawal syndrome, but we do call it a discontinuation syndrome because we know that when you stop these medicines, you can definitely experience some physical and emotional, mental, psychological sensations that are unpleasant or uncomfortable Um, but they are transient. They do go away uh, once it's completely out of your system. Tinnitus was listed as both a side effect of a lot of these medications and part of the discontinuation syndrome. Gaze evoked tinnitus was not that I could find. Um, So certainly that can happen, but this must be a rarer side effect. And generally this kind of tinnitus is pretty rare and usually only associated with a patient who has had a specific kind of tumor removed. So it's mm. not with the tumor itself. There's a specific tumor you can get called an acoustic neuroma or a schwannoma. You were they looked at you for that mm-hmm. when you first experienced tinnitus to make sure you didn't have it. Um, it's a it's a nerve sheath tumor. So the nerve sheath, the sheath around the nerve, grows abnormally. It's typically a benign tumor, but as it gets larger, it can cause symptoms, and so we generally remove them. Um, it's around the you know auditory nerve, so it's in your brain. After you remove it, the what we think is happening because some of the, a lot, no, I shouldn't say a lot. It's still pretty rare, but people who have had this tumor removed can develop gaze-evoked tinnitus, and the thought is that it has to do with as those pathways regrow after surgery, as your as your brain is forming these new little tracks and and connections. Uh, there is this cross between movement and like, vis- not not necessarily movement, but like your visual area and your auditory area, like the nerves get rewired in the wrong way mm-hmm. so that they connect the two. So that when you look in a different direction, you hear something. That's wild. So it's like, a yes, things that normally don't connect become connected. So that's usually what it's associated with. So that's what it is.
0: Um, this is a question from Austin and it's basically Austin was trying to find out on the internet how far to space out ibuprofen and acetaminophen and got a very wide range of answers. And basically, uh, a lot of folks rarely have the time and resources to call a nurse line or ask a doctor. So why does Dr. Google feel so dodgy for basic health information? Thank you, Austin.
1: Uh, And Austin also want to know if there are specific websites I trust or how do I search for stuff? Um, Okay. This is tough to give like general recommendations for because there's you're going to get as many bad answers to any medical question as you will good answers on the internet. Generally speaking, if they're being put out by a medical facility, if you're looking at information about something from Cleveland clinic or from Mayo or Mayo Clinic has a lot of these, they have a
0: lot of these, like they patient information up a lot.
1: Yes, they do. If you're looking or if you're looking at CDC recommendations, you know, national Institute of health recommendations, the U S preventative service task force, is what gives all, like, screening recommendations. If you're looking at these organizations, you're looking at evidence-based information that someone has vetted who has medical knowledge and is putting out into the world. So that should be valid information. If you're reading from some popular medicine website, blog, newsletter, I I have no idea. 50/50. Could be perfect, could be totally wrong.
0: Could be could be AI generated. That's becoming mm-hmm. more and more common just uh, AI scraping other articles and tossing together something.
1: So I wouldn't I would never trust any of that. If you're listening to other people's anecdotal experience experiences, I'd be very wary of that because an anecdote does not equal evidence. And so you, it, it may apply to you or it may not and the person may be well-meaning not all of this is malicious yeah
0: i mean there's a, there's an aspect of this where a lot of the advice is going to be extremely non-specific because there's a legal yes. ramification of giving you a specific thing that turns out to be incorrect It's why we always have the disclaimer at the beginning of the, the our episode and we have a doctor on the show <laughs> you know what i mean like yes. it's no one wants to be in that position of saying like you took me told me on your website that i could do this and it Hurt me, and now I'm suing you. So
1: we well, we follow evidence that is based on generalized, you know, data that we've gathered from many people, and that we applied then to all of our patients um, in the in the clinic room in the exam room. We're individualizing that treatment plan in the way that works best for that patient, mm-hmm. and that is not something that you can answer easily on a website. Mm-hmm. Um, I would check and see. Our office, for instance, has a 24 hour on call line where you can talk to one of our doctors if you have a specific question that you're really concerned about and you can't wait until the next day to call. Um, Who man's that?
0: You are had to do that? Our
1: residents. Oh, nice. So I did as a resident, yes. Um, but you might check into that and see if your primary care office that has gig? that. And would, if you don't have a primary care provider, you should. You would should. you like to do that? It seems like and that'd be can. kind of a fun gig, just
0: hanging out in a room answering questions for people.
1: Uh, I honestly it's so hard to answer them in a safe way without oh. being able... To, and especially if it's a patient you don't know because you're answering for You'd the whole practice. You saying,
0: like, just come into the office a you, lot.
1: A lot of the time, it's just triage. Either go to the ER now or that sounds like something that you can come in and be seen for in the morning. It's really hard to do that effectively.
0: Uh, hey, y'all, this has been a weird one for me. Uh, I recently had LASIK done. I've been using a ton of eye drops. The weird thing is I can often taste them in the back of my mouth after. It kind of tastes like when you have a hard time swallowing an uncoated pill, bitter, and chemical. Why can I taste something I'm putting on my eyes? If this is normal, I feel like more people should mention it. Thanks, Hadley.
1: It is normal. You can taste eye drops. Why? Because of something called your nasolacrimal duct. It is a duct, so a tube, an empty space, that runs from the inside corner of your eye. Where, that's also where tears can be generated, and yep. then there's a tube where they can go back in. <laughs> Moisture and fluids can go back into this tube and down into your nose. They drain down into the back of your nose, which can then drain down the back of your throat.
0: That's why sometimes if you sneeze bad, it blows out your eye. <laughs> it's you ever, all connected. You ever had that? A, little, I have
1: not. But oh, man, it's bad. It's all connected up there. So, yes, if you... When you put the drops in, if they drain down that duct, and then especially if you lean your head back, they're going to go right down the back of your throat. You're going to taste them. Okay.
0: Hi, Sydney and Justin. Recently, I was scrolling Facebook and saw an ad for lithium supplements. As someone who works closely with folks who have mental illness diagnoses, I know lithium is a treatment for bipolar and major depression. Upon further investigation, the capsules are uh, sold are one milligram. I tried to do some research. And I'm not a doctor or scientist. I just had a hard time understanding anything I found. I thought, man, I wish that he could explain this to me. So yeah, my question, is this one of those homeopathic remedies slash vitamins that you don't really need or is there real benefits to lithium? Um. Thank you. And this is a supplement, so I'm guessing not like a prescription. You can look
1: it like- up. Lithium orotate is the form that most supplements were in. O-R-O, Tate, T-A-T. Okay. Um, that oh, is yeah. This is yeah. like, yeah. You like, can just buy it. Like
0: five bucks at Walmart yeah. or something.
1: So that is not the same form of lithium that is prescribed, you know, for usually for bipolar disorder is what we're talking about um this is not the same like it is a different complex okay. it's not lithium carbonate it's lithium orotate the, lithium can be combined with different things to make different salts and those different forms have been tested since, since we've known about lithium's ability to manage certain things to specifically bipolar disorder for a very long time we we've you know we've known about lithium's psychoactive components since the 1800s at least um we have tried lots of different chemical forms of lithium. The stuff that you're prescribed is not lithium orotate. Lithium orotate has been studied since, at least since the 70s. There was like a renewed interest where they tried to say, because of the way this lithium molecule is comprised, we think this would be a better, uh, it would have, it would penetrate the blood-vein barrier better and you'd have higher concentrations in the brain, meaning you could use less of this to get the same result of lithium carbonate that was the theory behind it Um, the studies were really inconclusive they did one that sort of showed that they did another that, and this was in rats they did another one that also killed the rat's kidneys so then they were like well maybe it's more dangerous which is a known by the way all of these things you have to measure levels because these there are a lot of known problems with lithium toxicity, meaning like your levels get too high.
0: Are you saying, Sydney, that the dose makes the poison? Is that what saying you're that, saying?
1: Especially with lithium is a great example of the dose makes the poison. Um, lithium orotate does not have evidence behind it to show that it would be better— that it would be more effective, that using lower doses definitely would have the same effect as other forms of lithium but with less toxicity because you're losing, using a lower dose. We have no evidence that conclusively supports any of that at that po- this point, which is why it is sold unregulated as a supplement in extremely low doses that are much lower than we would ever think would be active in your body in any way. So here is what I would say about these supplements. Best case scenario they're probably doing nothing. Yeah. The bioavailability is in question. So, like, how much of that are you actually absorbing? And is it getting anywhere in your body at all? Are you mm-hmm. basically taking something homeopathic? Yeah. I mean, there's lithium in there, but, like, is it enough to do literally anything? That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is you're taking something that is chronically giving you low-dose lithium exposure, and we don't know what that's going to do. Yeah. Or, as in one case report I read, you take too many. And then you do exhibit symptoms of lithium toxicity, which there was someone hospitalized with signs and symptoms of toxic levels of lithium from taking these over-the-counter lithium supplements. They're being pushed for things like alcohol use disorder and other any any other psychiatric diagnosis. But that was the one thing I, I kept seeing it pushed for. Like this is a great way to quit drinking. Yeah. I would, I would that makes me very upset. I would stay far away from anything that claims to be better than what we know are evidence-based conventional therapies because, again, best-case scenario, they just don't work. Worst-case scenario, they're harming you and keeping you from accessing treatments that we have evidence that work.
0: Some worked. of these are shady. I'm looking at some. Most of them just say like one milligram, two milligrams. This this one here uh, says 1,000 micrograms. Which sounds bigger, doesn't it? Sounds it does. real wow. And if you it's don't a lot. It, well and see they're playing
1: on like that's for one me, milligram. Exactly. And for me, because I took a ton of science classes, I immediately see that. But if you if your specialty area of, you know, knowledge or interest or whatever is something else, you're not gonna immediately see the micro and milla and understand why they're tricking you or how they're tricking you. It's not gonna be readily apparent. Yep. So I this is why I' I would stay away from any of these things, and I would go talk to someone who is an expert in this area to help you manage whatever your concern is, whether it's bipolar disorder or alcohol use disorder or another substance use disorder, whatever. Please go talk to a healthcare professional. Um, Don't take these supplements. Best case scenario, you're wasting your money. Um, Best case. Best
0: case. Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to see us live October 13th, we're going to be at New York uh, City. It's in <laughs> conjunction with New York Comic Con, but it is not. you do not require a badge to, to get there. Uh, Sawbones will be up for my brother, my brother, and me. A long night for the J-Man, but for you, my public, anything. I will also be putting myself through a similar Herculean trial in Philadelphia two nights prior if you want to come see us uh, with My Brother, My Brother, and Me in Philadelphia. That's October 11th at the Miller Theater. October 13th at the Javits Center. October 12th, there's going to be a New York City Taz show, The Adventure Zone. You can get tickets for all of them bit.ly forward slash com Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song, Medicines, as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you for listening. We hope you, we answered all your queries satisfactorily. Um, Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm
1: Sydney McElroy. And as
0: always, don't drill a hole in your head. Also, I don't know why I said we answered. I mean,
1: we all know. Yeah, it was just me.